Thanks, Dave, and worship band. Awesome as usual. Do you want to get really good at doing something? I mean, like, really good. According to Malcolm Gladwell in his book, The Outliers, you need to practice that thing 10,000 hours. It's come to be known as the 10,000-hour rule for becoming an expert. And that sounds really daunting, 10,000 hours, but if you work full-time, that's just about five years of work. So if you've been on your job for five years or more, you are an expert at doing that job. You've done it for 10,000 years. Now, I don't know if that number is precise or exactly, but what I experienced in my career is that it was the combination of knowledge and experience that really made somebody really valuable. And I experienced that a little bit in the last couple of weeks. I retired from an IT career a few years ago, but I still dabble in it a little bit. I am helping out on a project, and we were putting together a proposal, and we realized that the, the project was going to involve enormous amounts of data, and we really needed a data scientist to help us with this. And that's one of the nice things about a career in IT is you know people like that. So we reached out to this like completely uber geek, this wonderful guy, He's a UCI professor. He's actually the director of the, of the center for, what is his title? It's a really cool title. The um, founding director for UC Irvine's Center for Machine Learning and Intelligent Systems. And this guy is like one of the smartest human beings I have ever been around. But the great thing about him is, you, you ever around somebody really smart and you just feel really dumb in comparison to them, right? He never made you feel that way. He just had this wonderful humility, and he was Irish, so he had this wonderful little lilt to his voice, and it was, just, it was just a great experience reconnecting with him and getting this terrific advice. And he was absolutely brilliant, but it wasn't just book knowledge. You see, he was also a consultant for some companies you may have heard of, like Google and Netflix and Samsung. And so he gave us some great advice about some specific landmines we might run into with a project of this scale. It was just a great experience. I just came away from it really appreciating that kind of knowledge and experience in one person. And then last week, I saw some expertise of a different kind. Um, SoCal Edison is replacing the power poles in the canyon behind my house. Some of you may have heard the, the helicopters coming in, because there's no roads back there. So the, to replace the telephone poles, they have to bring in a helicopter to do it. And this pilot is, like, amazing. These poles are about 50 feet tall. Yesterday, I was out taking some pictures, and I ran into one of the supervisors, and he was very kind, and I just pummeled him with questions. These poles are amazing. They're actually a composite material. They're not just wood. And he said when they get to a certain temperature, in the material is encased fire-retardant foam. And when they get to a certain temperature, poof, the foam comes out and keeps it amazing, right? Really cool stuff. And so the helicopter pilot would come in, the hole in the ground is maybe this big around, and a 50-foot pole just down into it time after time after time. It was just amazing to watch. My wife finally said, you know, Jim, every time you hear the helicopter, you don't have to run outside with your camera. And I said, oh, no, I do. I actually do need to do that, because it was just so amazing to watch the skillfulness, not just of the pilot, but the whole crew. I mean, within minutes, they had this thing set and straightened, 
And then yesterday they came through with the helicopter and he actually pulled the power line across and these guys climbed up to the top of the poles. And anyway, really cool stuff. As you can tell, I'm very excited about this. I know that that pilot spent hours and hours and hours in the classroom learning how to fly a helicopter, but it took actually getting behind the, uh, it's not a wheel, right? It's a stick, getting behind the stick to really do it right. It was that combination of knowledge and experience to get to that level of expertise. And that's what I think we're seeing in this series that Pastor John started on the Lord's Prayer. We're learning how it is to pray, but we need both the book knowledge coming from the Bible and also the experience of actually doing that. We've been using the Lord's Prayer as an outline. It's actually found in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. You're more familiar with uh, the passage in Matthew. It's a little longer. It's what we just prayed a few minutes ago. The one in Luke I like because the disciples actually specifically asked Jesus. They said, hey, we noticed John's disciples are praying a lot. Could you teach us to, to pray? They saw that Jesus had the knowledge, he had the experience. He was actually off somewhere praying when he came back when they asked him that question. They saw that in him. This morning, we're going to take a look at the passage in Luke. It's a little different from what you're used to hearing. And we're going to look at one specific phrase within that. But before we do that, let's pray. God, we are grateful for this morning. We're grateful for this church for everybody who comes together to make this happen, the, the worship team, the people working behind the scenes, the video and the audio people, all the people taking care of our kids and youth right now. We pray for them as well. And pray that now as we look into your truth, God, that your spirit would guide us, that nothing that is said this morning wouldn't be coming from you. And most importantly, that that truth would mold us and shape us into the citizens of your kingdom that you call us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 11, 1 through 4 says this. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. Again, they asked him this question as he was coming back from a time of prayer. It wasn't just book knowledge. It wasn't just head knowledge. This was something that was part of Jesus' daily existence, part of his experience. And I love his teaching. It's so concise and so compact, yet there's this wonderful depth to it. It's such a familiar passage to us that I think we say it by rote, and sometimes it kind of grows stale. So I was excited when Pastor John asked me to participate in this, because invariably, and it's the thing I love about Scripture, is when I really dive into it, there's so many levels, there's so many layers that I didn't see before, and that happened to me with this. Our focus this morning is going to be on that one little phrase, give us each day our daily bread. We're going to look at each of the words in that. Let's look at first one is bread. I think what we can note right off the top of that is Jesus is saying it's okay to pray for the things that we need, the material possessions. Prayer is not just about spiritual things, but it's about being fed. 
Hunger is such a powerful force. I don't know about you, I haven't really had to deal with that very much in my life. I've lived a really privileged life. I can't remember a time where I was ever hungry because I simply didn't have the food to eat or the money to buy that food. Can you imagine being in that kind of a position? Well, right now, today, 735 million people don't have to imagine that. That's the statistic for the number of people who are consistently hungry or undernourished in the world. 735 million people. And that's defined as people whose food intake regularly provides <clears throat> less than their minimum energy requirements. In other words, they're weak because they haven't had enough food. 11% of the world last year experience severe food insecurity. That's defined as, as having run completely out of food and gone a day or more without eating. 11% of the world, more than 1 in 10. Now, as all things having to do with wealth, that's not equally distributed. In the United States, it's 1.5%. That sounds pretty good, right? That's, that doesn't sound too bad until you do the math and you realize that's half a million people have actually gone without food for more than one day. In Latin America, it's 12%. In Africa, it's 24%. One in four. Think about that for just a second. I think we get kind of numb to those statistics. So imagine for just a second, you weren't born in the United States. We didn't do anything to earn being born here. We just kind of won the lottery, right? If we just happened to be born into a different continent, looking around the room, one out of four of you wouldn't have eaten for at least a day, maybe multiple days, simply because the food wasn't there. Or you didn't have the resources to get that. Can you imagine that kind of hunger? How that might impact your view of God? when you're experiencing that kind of hunger? Jesus prayed that God's kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. Is that what God's kingdom is supposed to look like? That kind of disparity? That kind of suffering that people are having? That leads me to the next phrase that I want to explore. Give us. Notice that this prayer, like most of Jesus' prayers, are in the first person plural. It's not give me my daily bread. It's give us our daily bread. That's what our prayer life is supposed to be. In his letter to the church in Corinth, the apostle Paul wrote that the church is like a body, and he writes that when one member suffers, all suffer together with it. There's, a, uh, there's a, a strain of individualism in American Christianity that we just don't see in Jesus' teachings. There's supposed to be an interdependency with each other. It's not about us, or it is about us. It's not about me. Give us each day our daily bread. And then each day, now this is the part that I don't like in this prayer. Actually, there's a lot of parts of this prayer I don't like that make me uncomfortable. But each day, give me each day my bread. I don't want that prayer, right? I don't want the pr my bread just for today, because what if it doesn't come tomorrow, right? Give me at least a week, or, or maybe a month even, 
And, and better yet, let me interview the baker so that I can make sure that they have a contingency plan in place in case there's a wheat or yeast shortage, because I want to make sure that I've got the bread here. When it comes to taking care of myself and my family, I'm a bit of a control freak. I want to make sure that I'm in charge of that. That's what I want. I don't want this day-by-day dependency kind of thing. Now, this should sound familiar to any of you who are familiar with the story in Exodus, the Jewish people, as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses and Aaron had rescued them from captivity, but then they found themselves in the wilderness with no provisions. They weren't very happy about it. This is what happens in Exodus 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow. You want to talk about some hangry people here, right? This is what happens when you don't have the basic essentials. So what happens? God provides. This substance that came to be called manna, it would appear each morning, and they would gather it up, but they had very strict instructions to only gather up enough for that one day, each day. The only exception to that was the day before the Sabbath, because God wanted them to rest on the Sabbath. Then they could collect enough to eat for two days. Some of them, of course, disobeyed, people like me said, well, I don't want to, what if it doesn't show up the next morning, right? Let's just grab a little extra. You know, we'll just, we'll just put it in the closet. Nobody's going to notice. What happened to it? It went rotten. Worms got into it. Wonderful message in that story about that kind of disobedience. Give us this day our daily bread. Just what we need, not what we want. And I don't know about you, but that's a really tough prayer for me to make. Because I know the stuff that I want, but God only promises me what I need. And the reality is for anyone else here who joins me as a control freak, let's face it, the control is a bit of an illusion, right? We can do, we can do everything right. We can get everything lined up. We can have our spreadsheets. We can figure out our finances, have our retirement plan, do all of that. And then something happens that's completely out of our control. Could be a death, could be an aging parent that we have to take care of, or a divorce, or a business going under, a layoff, all kinds of things that are completely out of our control. Our control is an illusion, but in Luke 12, Jesus says to look at the birds and the flowers, that God takes care of them, and doesn't he value us even more than that? And then he says this, and do not keep seeking what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the worlds that seek all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom, and don't worry. Well, that's easy, right? I know, much easier said than done. The last word we haven't gotten to yet is daily. Now, I was reading this passage, and it, that word just seemed kind of odd to me. And in my research of it, I discovered there's a really interesting linguistic mystery embedded in just that word. 
And quite honestly, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole researching just this one word, and you're all coming with me, because I, put in, I invested an enormous amount of time in researching this word. This word daily is actually really difficult to translate from the original Greek, because it's the only place here in Matthew and Luke where this word appears in all of Scripture, but more than that, in all of ancient Greek literature. This word doesn't appear anywhere else. It's like the author just made it up. So the translators have to really grapple with this. What do we do with this kind of a word when we don't have a definition? There's other places that they have words that are difficult, and so they do their best. They figure out based on the context. So this is the best that they came up with that give us this day our daily bread. The redundancy in that always kind of bothered me a little bit. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, sometimes redundancy is just used for emphasis, so it certainly could be that, and it's very likely that could be that as well. But in my research in this, I just found out some really cool stuff. And I need to let you know, too, I'm, I'm not a big fan of putting too much stock into an individual word in a passage or in a verse. Pastor John's really good about not doing this, but I've sat through a lot of sermons where the pastor does that. I've even sat in ones where, like, the tense of a single verb out of an entire passage, the entire message swings on that one thing. And I can't help but think, did the original author put that much thought into that word? Or was there a bigger meaning that they were trying to draw out of this. So we've got to be careful with this kind of thing. We can start to lose the forest for the, the trees. But as I was mulling over this passage, I just couldn't get away from the thought of, why did the author do this? There's a word in the Greek for daily that's really common that he could have used. So why did he use this other word, this mysterious word where the real meaning was kind of lost? Did Jesus communicate something that was difficult to, to, to capture in Greek? Because remember, a translation has already occurred even by the time it's written down because Jesus spoke Aramaic. He wasn't speaking in Greek. The common language to speak at that time was Aramaic, and then it was translated down into Greek. So the author already had to do a translation. So did Jesus communicate something in Aramaic and the author just really struggled with how do I capture the essence of what he was just saying in putting this down there? Kenneth Bailey is a uh, pastor, he's a professor, he's an author. He lived in the Middle East for over 40 years, and he wrote this terrific book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Our Sunday Night Rad group went through this book. What I love about it is because he's so familiar with that culture, he provides some wonderful cultural context for a lot of things that, that, some nuances that maybe we wouldn't catch in some of these passages. He has a chapter on the Lord's Prayer, and in that he has a whole section on just this word that's translated as daily. I'm not going to go into all the details about what, how he tried to unravel this mystery, but he, uh, in summary, he tried to go back and he thought, well, the people as the farthest back in time who would be most familiar with what was originally said Let's see what they had to say. So he went back to the original church fathers, and he found four different versions of what this word might mean, two of them having to do with time and two of them having to do with volume. So the time was one, one church father said, it means the bread of today. So it's just kind of redundant along with each day. 
Another one said it means the bread of tomorrow. So give me today my bread for tomorrow. Okay, that helps control freaks like me a little bit. Okay, at least I've got a 24-hour buffer now. So that's the, that's the two that had to do with time. Then the two that thought it had something to do with volume said, one said it means just enough bread to keep us alive and no more. So just what we need. And the other one said pretty much the same thing, the bread that we need. So those were the four things having to do with time and volume. So he started thinking, could those have a common source? Could there have been a meaning to this word that that idea was derived from? So this is where it gets really geeky. He went way back to the old Syriac translation. Now, I haven't read that recently, and I'm sure you probably haven't either. And so again, I'm just taking his word on this. This is a, tr a very ancient translation made in the second century. It was replaced by another one and was completely lost, and then rediscovered again in the 19th century. What's interesting about this is this language is one of the closest ones we have to the original Aramaic. This is what that, when he went back to that, so again, this was a translation made about the second century. About the, in fact, uh, I read one uh, article that said, this is actually the oldest translation we have from the original Greek, from the Greek to this uh, Syriac language. This is what that translation read. Give us today the bread that doesn't run out. Isn't that great? I love that. Give me today, give us today the bread that doesn't run out. That really resonated with me for a number of reasons. It does, it really kind of neatly encapsulates that idea of both time and volume. It covers today, it covers tomorrow. It lets me know I'm going to have the amount of bread I need today. I'm going to have the amount of bread I need tomorrow because it never runs out. It's always going to be there for me as long as I need it. And if I adopt that kind of prayer, it can help control freaks like me. I can have the confidence that the bread is going to be there. Now, as with most of Jesus' teachings, I think this one has multiple levels to it. I think he is talking about real bread, actual food. We want to avoid that state of hunger. And he's showing us that it's okay to ask for those things. Again, what we need, not necessarily what we want. He didn't say, give us this day our daily cake, or donuts, or muffins. Give us today our daily bread. And for everyone, not just for me. But we all know that bread has a symbolic significance as well in scripture. In John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Later, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. Now, we know he's not talking literally here. He's not saying that we're all going to live forever, and no Christian, no follower of his will ever experience hunger or thirst. I think what Jesus is letting us know here is that it's okay, and in fact it's necessary, that we pray for our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs as well. We're encouraged to pray 
that we're fed and housed. But there's something deeper in this prayer that God would also fill our souls. So how's your soul doing today? A little malnourished? Does it need a little help? Does your soul feel empty and hungry? Are you looking to the right places to fill that? Remember what we talked about in the beginning. Expertise requires knowledge and experience. So we've got the knowledge. This is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So the question is, are we going to experience that? Is it going to be another one of those things that, oh, that's really interesting, Jim. Thanks for that you know, endless discussion of that one word in that, in that passage. And just walk away and nothing changes. Here's what I would suggest. Find some way to weave the Lord's Prayer into your day as kind of a constant reminder. I think that's what Jesus' intent probably was. I'm not sure if his intent was that we just recite it by rote. I think that's great that we do that on Sundays. I'm not sure that was his real intent with it. I think he kept it really short and concise and compact because it just makes it really usable. So what if you did this? I don't know what your tradition is. In our family, we say grace before we eat. If you don't do that, why not start that? It doesn't even have to be out loud. What if right before you sit down to eat every time, you just said a little prayer? Maybe it's, give us this day our daily bread. Maybe it's a, a little um, prayer of thanks. Thank you, God, for this bread that doesn't run out. Maybe it's a, a, a prayer for that one out of four people in Africa that isn't eating today. God, help them. Get the resources there so that they don't go hungry. Give us this day our daily bread. And let that reminder nourish your soul. Let that, let that be a new connection that you have with Jesus as you have this constant reminder, as our souls get filled with that. Let's pray for that, that in the coming week that all of us have a newfound connection to Jesus. Not just in, in saying the words here on Sunday, but throughout the week. That we would have our fill of the bread of life, that our souls would be nourished and alive, and that we would pray for and with our brothers and sisters around the world, that they would get the physical nourishment that they need. Let's all pray that we would be filled with that bread that doesn't run out. Amen.